Welcome to episode number five of the Managing Your Microsoft Digital Solution series. I'm your host, Andrew Walker, alongside David Crouch, who is not in a studio right now, but live on location in London, England. David, what are you up to over there? Well, Andrew, I've been on semi-vacation for the past six weeks. The island of Lanzarote, which is one of the Canary Islands. However, it was far enough from uh, Tenerife that I did not find out what Microsoft is up to with their reboot of Dynamics 365, the business edition of finance. Wow, that's quite the semi-vacation. Now, you're lucky you missed out on snow about three weeks ago. But speaking of Tenerife, won't we find out what happens on that soon? Well, it was announced on Tuesday, March the 13th. So stay tuned to find out more about that later in the show. Sounds good. Now, we admit we've been gone for a while without a podcast since our Christmas edition, and things have been pretty busy. Indeed they have, Andrew. But we we decided to make some changes to this podcast to get it better targeted to what we were trying to achieve with it and also to ensure that we could uh, keep producing one every month. And we're also changing our advisory digital publication in several ways. And one of the big things is we're off of our Medium site and now on our own website, and we're completely focused on digital solutions. So let's kick off our show by adding in Bob Bell to chat with us about our own reboot. Stick around. All right, let's get things going. Today, we're going to talk about the reboot and our purpose for this podcast, where David and I are joined by Bob Bell, the CEO of ITK Consulting. Bob, welcome. Ah, Thanks for having me, guys. So, Bob, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. I've got uh, over 25 years of public and private sector experience. Uh, coming out of grad school, I joined what was then Anderson Consulting back in, in Vancouver in 89, uh, that's actually where I met David. And shortly thereafter, five of us kind of left Anderson uh, to create our own professional services uh, consulting company. And over the next 15 years, we grew that company into a thriving consulting practice of more than 100 people with verticals, primary service verticals of change management, application development, and um, training and education. And then uh, to make a long story short, that company eventually morphed into a financial services products company that we sold back in 2006 to one of our largest competitors. Um, I worked as part of their global leadership team for that company for a few years, but it, it just wasn't the same. Um, Vancouver was more of a satellite development office. So uh, I left there and from there, uh, I made the logical jump, of course, to working in the uh, public sector and spent uh, four years as the chief operating officer for HealthLink BC. And HLBC provides all the 24 by seven by 365 telehealth services in the province. Um, and the 811 service. Um, I left the public sector after four years and started working as the CEO for a uh, personalization software tech startup um, and then spent that time helping to raise money and grow the business in Vancouver and down in Silicon Valley. And David and I kind of reconnected in late 2016 and um, I ended up coming on board with, with ITK, which kind of brought me full circle in my career back to kind of my, my roots in professional services. So I'm Glad to be a part of IDK and our journey forward. Nice. Well, we're happy to have you here, Bob. David, why don't you start us off? Why are we doing a reboot? Two reasons, really. First, we want to ensure that uh, producing a podcast is something we can execute and deliver month in and month out. Second, though, we want to produce something that we think is of real value. Most of the other CRM or Dynamics podcasts deal with news or detailed technical issues. For instance, CRM Audio now has several podcasts going featuring an array of Microsoft valuable 
professionals, MVPs, talking about issues around the Microsoft stack for implementation professionals. That's great, and it's very useful, but we think there are some key topics missing. Bob, what do you think? It's interesting. Our, you know, our forte for the last 25 years has always been um, consulting and long-term customer relationships. Um, customers and prospects aren't spending all their time on the latest and greatest from Microsoft's ever-growing platform. They're running around growing and growing their own businesses. They want to tune in periodically to get answers to major questions like, you know, how can I connect my customers and my service and support? How do I improve the automation and effectiveness of my marketing or sales? Even then, you know, when should I upgrade to a cloud version of Dynamics? Those are the types of questions that they're thinking about on a daily basis. So we're trying to be a valuable partner to our customers, right? Exactly, Andrew. If we can coin a new acronym, we want to be CMVPs, Customers Most Valuable Partners, providing input, advice, guidance, recommendations. Absolutely. I think that is our sweet spot. You know, when I talk to some of our clients, they want us to help them with business issues where technology can help. Things like, how can I get a 360 degree view of my customers? Or can we better streamline our response time in our call center? Only a few of them are wanting answers to nitty gritty technical questions. So this podcast should help answer some questions for Microsoft prospects and customers. David, anything else we are doing as part of our reboot? When each podcast is dropped, we're going to have supporting blogs and vignettes released at the same time on our revised website. And uh, of course, which we've uh, talked about in the first segment, our new advice blog. And these are going to help demonstrate better the answers to these business questions. Bob, what about your announcement? What I want to do is have us once a month get the three of us together and do a short form podcast that's going to be available through our news discussing the concept of CMVP and what makes us unique. Something that, you know, we have called the ITK way. I like what I'm hearing. Bob, thanks again for coming on. We'll be right back with a key recommendation from Doug McLaughlin. This on-the-go recording was done using the mobile app Anchor. Welcome to another new segment called For the Decision Maker, where each podcast, the head of our consulting group, Doug McLaughlin, will give a bottom line recommendation on a key topic of interest. David, what is this all about? Well, uh, Andrew, as we just discussed with Bob, that uh, one of the key things that we want to be doing in this podcast is is really providing in, uh, information and guidance and advice to customers and prospects of people using Microsoft technology, specifically uh, Dynamics 365. And um, we wanna keep it short and sharp around key issues. And, and one that's really uh, current right now is, is uh, version 9.0, uh, which is a major upgrade for Microsoft and the unified interface. And for everybody listening right now, we probably sound a little bit different, and we should probably mention that as we have Doug on, we're also experimenting with a new podcast tool called Anchor. So quality may be a little bit different. So, Doug, why don't you give us some brief background about uh, version 9.0? Uh, yeah. Hey, Andrew and David. Uh, yeah, happy to do so. Um, so version 9 is the latest version of Dynamics 365. It was introduced in the fall of 2017 um, after a long run-up, and it is a very compelling um, upgrade to the previous versions. The most recent part of that was version 8.2. Um, some of the biggest uh, highlights, I guess, are the new unified interface, a uh, consistent look and feel across you know, all the different device types, whether you're on a, a desktop, a tablet, or a, a phone, a bunch of uh, you know, improvements to the user experience. They 
um, have a new activity timeline, the business process flows, have more and better functionality. The mobile experience overall is much better. There's some new things like virtual entities, the ability to look up into remote systems and, and look at the data. Um, so lots of compelling features. Um, the first, you know, when it went live in the fall, it was, you know, felt a bit like a beta. And I think that's one of the reasons everyone's looking so forward to the spring update that's that's dropping in the next week or so um, with the spring with the spring 2018 update. Yes, again, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, as, as you say, it's a very, very compelling update. It's a major change in the platform. But uh, one of the issues, and, and we have some hands-on experience having just gone live starting in January with, with a client on a very uh, large implementation. So I guess the question is, we know this is compelling. We know this is the direction, but there has been some teething pains. Doug, what's your bottom line recommendation for both new and existing clients on upgrading to 9.0? If you're brand new and you're starting a brand new Dynamics implementation, there's no reason not to go to 9. I'm not even sure next week not going to 9 won't be an option. And and I would certainly just go go in and, and uh, you know, start with that. If you are currently on Dynamics and you're on 8.2 or an earlier version, uh, I would really recommend, you know, testing the upgrade process first. Uh, making a copy of your production environment. If you're an online customer, that's pretty easy to do. Um, make that you know test it see how that goes and then schedule your actual update of production okay so just to recap that your bottom line is new customers straight on to 9.0 existing uh, clients they need to start by upgrading to a non-production instance to see what problems they're going to get into and then go they have up to six months to uh to defer that so that's the period of time yeah that's exactly right david that's a great summary Doug, thanks for coming on. And David, thanks again. And we'll be right back. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Welcome back. In this segment, we're going to provide a quick review to Microsoft's spring release focusing on what it does and what it all means to Microsoft customers and prospects. Now, quick is pretty hard given all the reams of material and announcements Microsoft has made during March. Andrew, that is so true. For some reason, Microsoft seems to have exploded in the amount of material they produced for this announcements. Virtual events, PowerPoints, videos, web-based guides, FAQs. It even included a significant amount of documentation training for the new products, which is truly a step up. Much more volume than usual and also more salesy than we've seen previously. Now, some of this is good as they really need to up their ante in terms of selling core business applications to medium and large enterprises. But it also means that it is a lot more difficult to find out what is really new. So let's highlight the key elements of the spring release in this podcast, and then we'll drill into details with follow-up blogs during April. Now, David, first off, why do you think it was more salesy? I think it's because Microsoft's at a very good point in the execution of their vision for business applications that are going to be used in the modern workplace. Of course, their focus is on digital transformation. There's probably two or three uh, years more until the current vision that they have is truly reached, but they've really passed a tipping point, in my opinion. So they can now show truly exciting demonstrations of digital solutions built around their core strengths. And those are fourfold. The first is breadth of offerings and completeness of vision. Their business applications include 
pretty much a standard set of what everybody needs. And that doesn't even include Office 365 productivity and communications and all of the elements that Azure can provide. The second thing is, I'm going to call it beyond integration. I'm going to use words like immersion, embedded, unified. People that don't know just don't get it. I got into a bit of an argument with a Salesforce uh, person on LinkedIn, and uh, he goes, well, everything's integrated nowadays. They just haven't seen what this is. And if Salesforce is so greatly integrated, why did they just go out and buy MuleSoft? The third strength that they have is flexibility and adaptability of their solution sets. And finally, exciting user experience. Now, most of the rest of the podcast, we're going to deal with the, the, these latter two points because they've really come forward in the, in this release. You're right. And for my part, I've been tracking the changes on the Office 365 front with several new apps. And I've recently watched Microsoft's first line worker presentation. And this is mostly focused on Staff Hub, which we've been going through and which I'm actually going to be reviewing in detail later on in the podcast. And I've been impressed by how easy it is to use and to how fast the new valuable features like providing access to policies and procedures and adding to-dos and providing access to power apps have been added into it. But David, what are the big changes from your perspective that customers would be interested in? In the past, these releases have been focused on new apps and new features. There is some of this and we'll get to it, but really they're putting all of their advantages together. First off, let's get this. There was a lot of dedicated focus that they had to do to cover off GDPR. That's General Data Protection Regulation, which is greatly important for uh, people that living in the European community. But to me, the main thing is significant platform changes. Now, that sounds pretty boring to a potential customer, but it really provides a lot of value add and, and excitement. The first platform piece is the completion of the upgrade that they went through to go towards what they now call the unified interface. This means that most of Dynamics 365 now sports a shiny new face that is the same across web mobile, and Outlook. This is a huge factor for user adoption and also for Microsoft's competitive advantage. The second is more technical in nature. They have added many more capabilities to Power App, and Power App now resides on the same data that customer engagement and talent apps use. At the same time, Microsoft Flow has been put on steroids, including things like new process workflow capabilities. Together, this newly renamed business application platform, I much preferred what the street called it, Power Suites, means is that it's a powerful new development environment for doing anything from better tailoring Dynamics 365 implementations to building brand new line of business applications. Old time CRM developer jocks call this XRM. Whatever it's called, it means that Microsoft is eminently adaptable and look for a huge number of new ISV offerings to come out over the next 12 to 24 months. They'll cover off things like functional, industry, and type of worker applications. And finally, there's another platform piece, which is the continued restructuring of Dynamics 365 for finance and operations. That's the old AX platform. It's emerging integration with the rest of Dynamics 365 means that calling things Dynamics 365 is now much more than a marketing expression. Now, that's impressive, though not all of us understand the technical under-the-covers work. Now, what does it all mean, and is there anything else that you would consider to be a major new change? 
Well, Andrew, the platform upgrades mean that the solution is much closer to Nadella's vision for digital transformation. Dynamics 365 can now be the single source of record for any business. It can be tailored and changed to fit into each organization's strategy and culture. It can easily coexist with other business application software and modern new applications, which is going to be increasingly important given the, the, the pace of change in, in our economy, can be quickly and effectively built on this base. The last important change is the pricing and licensing. To support these changes, some of which we haven't even covered yet, both pricing and licensing got more complex and more expensive. And to nobody's surprise, old terms like essential and old concepts like minimums have returned. And certain products are only available through certain distribution channels. But this is all likely the price to be paid for the functionality and flexibility that Microsoft's now delivering. Compared to their competitors, the completeness is unmatched. However, I do think that Dynamics 365 and its ecosystem is really no longer aimed at the smallest end of the business software market. Speaking of which, and this actually just came to me a while ago, we ran a successful short podcast series on the business edition. And David, I kind of miss doing it. Whatever happened to it? Funny you should ask. The Dust has maybe finally settled on this with their three major product announcements. First off is Dynamics 365 for marketing. Now, this is uh, the first app for a while that has been licensed at the organization level rather than the user level. It has the same great new user interface. It has a considerable breadth of marketing automation support, and it features strong process models and templates. The centerpiece to me of this product is the really brilliant event management functionality. It is also offered in a unique standalone solution bundled with voice of the customer, a portal, and social engagement. But I'm left with two issues. It seems pricey to me at uh, $1,500 US per month for only 10,000 contacts and and a, a similar limit on uh, emails. And the second issue is that given previous new product rollout teething problems, does it all work right now? I think with this, they're finally hitting marketing properly, but I would recommend for most clients to see how it shakes out over the next six to 12 months. We're also, me included, just back from our second Atlantic island as Tenerife has now been renamed Business Central. It's now proudly waving the NAV banner with a hike in prices from the old business edition model. But Microsoft has put together some great transition pricing for its old on-premises clients on GP, NAV, AX, SI, and all the other old ERP systems that they have in their stable. It has a slightly refreshed UI and some platform changes as well. Gone is the unique coding language so that now developers can extend it using Visual Studio. My question for this product, and you'll recall us talking about that during our uh, our old podcast, is who is it actually aimed at? The current answer is mid-sized enterprises who want just one application to cover everything and don't have overly complex requirements. It's to be delivered only through implementation partners, so that might help on its take up. And it still does feature integration with Dynamics 365 for sales. That allows me to segue to the last bit of what happened to Business Edition with the new sales app. This was formerly going to be called 
business edition, but it's now Sales Professional with a lower price point than the existing sales app, which is now called Enterprise. Microsoft was having some problems sussing out how to keep everybody from shifting to the cheaper business edition. Here's what they did. Professional doesn't have all of the sales functionality. Customization is somewhat limited. It doesn't have all the other normal app features like portals and sandbox. And if it's mixed with other licenses like the big boy sales or customer engagement plan, it's in its own instance. Clever on two counts, though, I think, as I think this is going to help them get into growing businesses who tire of the limited freemium web-based software. And personally, I think it gives quite a bit of customization. It also has a very easy onboarding process. Could be a real runner. And I think it's the most interesting of these three apps, at least in the short term. Wow, that is a lot. This kind of reminds me of the final thought segment from our previous ones. Now, in order to get through the rest of the many announcements, let's do a quick hit through through the D365 lineup. Uh, first up, anything else new in the customer engagement apps? Well, uh, Andrew, a few tweaks here and there. It's, it's clear on the sales side that... Um, its way forward is continued tighter relationship with LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And they announced, again, a few more features around that. The relationship sales bundle is extremely attractive to many organizations that engage in modern sales practices. There's also been some uh, significant upgrades to the universal resource scheduling component. And that, that's the thing that drives the staffing behind customer service, field service, and project services. This just keeps making it more attractive. And finally... They're removing restrictions and making project services more flexible, which should really make it more attractive to project-based teams and organizations. Okay. What about on the Dynamics 365 for finance and operations? Well, besides what I mentioned before, the improved integration with its Dynamics 365 brethren, there's lots and lots of small feature additions across the board, across all of its different modules. On the retail front, which is really just a specific instance of, of, uh, of this, it's improved flexibility means that a pretty good app just keeps getting better. And also the retail is gradually getting localized for all the countries in the world. Okay. Now, what about the newcomer to the group, Dynamics 365 for talent? Overall, this isn't my favorite suite is, again, I'm not sure who it's really aimed at. If, if you're an organization that has invested in human capital systems, I'm not sure you're leaving them for this. However, Microsoft is monthly, and this is a great development strategy, adding lots of new features. And I think they're gradually evolving that this is for new, modern, younger organizations. They've added a lot of new integrations, for instance, payroll and assessments. The two components I do like our attraction on onboarding. Uh, we use them as well. And I really see the value of them, particularly for LinkedIn recruiter users. Now that's not LinkedIn recruiter light users, only LinkedIn recruiter users. They've added uh, deeper integration there. They've also added in flexibility into attraction for changing up and making it your own recruiting process. That was my only complaint about it. It was just too out of the box for me. It's priced very attractively. And I think these really are winners that uh, are centered on um, recruiting and growth-oriented companies. They should really take a look at them. Anything else to note? Well, Andrew, there's still a lot more. I mean, there's 220-some pages just in the release notes, uh, including significant upgrades to Microsoft Stream, their video handling service, which is now embedded in talent. But 
The final major item I'd like to highlight is the continued growth of Power BI. This, I believe, is the first application where Microsoft started its great monthly upgrade strategy. And this has, no pun intended, powered them into the lead for modern analytics and reporting tools. These upgrades that they currently put together turn it into its own platform. So it's not just a tool anymore. It's a whole its own platform. It now has its own common data service for analytics. And businesses can now be building exciting, powerful, and fresh-looking intelligence apps. Well, that is a lot to digest. So we'll definitely follow up with some written blogs to help convey what that means for you. Uh, Any other final thoughts at all, David? Well, Microsoft are delivering on their vision more quickly than I would have thought. There's been some hiccups as you're going to get along along the way, but it's coming together. To me, they're now qualitatively better than their competitors in terms of range and integration. But having the best product doesn't always win the day, given the range of marketing perceptions out there. Hopefully, we'll see North America and the rest of the world really replicate the multiple first-class implementation stories that I see being accomplished in Europe. You make me feel so young. You make me feel so spring has sprung. And every time I see you grin, I'm such a happy... Coming up, we'll talk about the new segments we will be featuring in the coming episodes. Now, as David and Bob discussed earlier, we are trying to focus this podcast on providing guidance and advice to customers and prospects about creating and expanding Microsoft digital solutions to add value to your business. To that end, we are adding a number of new segments to some each episode and some on a periodic basis. So, David, what are some of the segments we're going to have? Well, Andrew, one of the ones that I'm really excited about is called uh, Conversations About Being Digital. Now, digital transformation is a very hip, overused phrase just now, and but it's also a major plank for Microsoft's direction with uh, business applications. But it's a real tricky concept to uh, understand. So each episode, we're going to be talking to a different person who's going to have some interesting viewpoints about what digital transformation really is. We will also continue to periodically feature lessons from the front line about relevant experiences from some of our client engagements. However, as you know, it's sometimes tricky to get to talk to our consultants due to their client commitments. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I love talking to people like Steve and Judy, but they're just so busy all the time with client sites. But are there any other spots we're going to do? Yes, we're also going to do a regular feature accompanied by a a blog that's going to look at different types of digital solutions, their components, the benefits you get from having them, and how to implement them. And finally, we're going to beef up our reviews section. There are just so many new changes coming at us from Microsoft that we're going to start doing more reviews. We're going to divide them now into two types. First look, which is going to be an abbreviated review with the standard criteria we've been using up until now, buy, speculate, hold, or sell. And then starting today, a full review where we look more in depth at an application and we're going to rate it out of 10 on six different criteria. How easy is it to use? How easy is it to learn? Functional fit. Does it do things that are really needed? That's what we mean by that. Does it have a compelling roadmap? Stability, i.e., does it actually technically work? And finally, value for money. All right, butthorns, which one of you idiots wrote this script? Uh... I did. Oh, would you write it like on a computer? Yeah. 
So, you know a lot about computers? Y yeah. Can you show me how to turn off the flashlight on my phone? Don't touch my phone! So, Andrew, you're now going to give us the first full review. As mentioned earlier, we're going to take a closer look at Staff Hub. Now, Andrew reviewed this a few months ago, and as always, uh, let's start with your conclusion. How do you rate it out of 10 and, and why? David, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. And my reason for that is that this should have come out way back when I was a frontline worker in school. The product is easy to use. It has lots of features that employees will love. And it definitely fixes the whole scheduling issues like swapping and offering shifts and, of course, replacing paper methods. And overall, it's just a great value. That sounds pretty good. Now, we've been impressed with it. And, of course, we use it here at ITK, even though we're not a shift organization, but just keeping track of where people are and vacations and so on, it works great. Now, let's start off digging down a little bit deeper on two user adoption issues. How easy is it to use and how easy is it to learn? Well, for the easy to use part, it's great with both the app and desktop. It's handy with mobile to-dos like checking your schedule and swapping shifts. Everything you need is right in front of you from top to bottom. As for the learning part, if you take it slowly with each feature, it's pretty easy. And let's take an example like swapping or offering a shift. You want to make sure you know where all the buttons are and be sure to do tasks step by step and not rush it. So let's say if you're on the app and you want to swap a shift with someone, you press the plus button up top add your team member and make sure that their schedule is available. So again, step by step by step, it's super easy. Great. The next two criteria are, um, you know, big ones for people. Functional fit, which is, does it do important things that we need done? And the roadmap, is there a steady stream of other helpful upgrades? So Andrew, how does it rate on these two items? Absolutely. In my first line days, I wanted a solution to all of my scheduling issues and covering shifts because I just got tired of all the paper schedules, the sticky notes, the missing sticky notes, going in on your days off to check and the whole awkwardness of it. And the ironic thing, David, is that when we use technology at work, we used scanners to log our products and such, but we were still stuck in the old school format of communicating with each other on covering shifts and accessing documents. So Staff Hub solves that all by completely replacing all the paperwork and the sticky notes and showcasing it on your computer or on a mobile device and especially with the schedule and I know we talk about this lots but I got to say there's nothing better than checking your schedule and making some changes right in the palm of your hand no more going up to the break room on your day off no trying to sneak around when you're supposed to be on the floor one thing I would like to see uh, for a feature wise in the file section is the ability to sign an agreement for a company policy such as Anything to do with harassment or healthy workplace issues, you know, where you agree to this and you sign it so that in case any kind of random part where HR is involved, they say, well, you sign this contract. If you go to Staff Hub, click your files, see, you signed it right here. And that gets rid of the whole, oh, well, I didn't know where the whole contract agreement was on my part. David, in terms of the roadmap, Microsoft is great with this. They keep adding new features every month. We have just seen chat and to-dos being added, and these are great features. Coming soon is tailoring content to types of workers or shifts and admin capabilities for larger organizations. Plus, you can really see what's coming from their published roadmap on the web. That sounds really impressive. So uh, a quick issue here, does it work? You know, lots of times you see new apps, they look great, they have great features, but they're not very stable and they have problems. Uh, a function doesn't work uh, that's supposed to. How's Staff Hub for this? Well, I was thinking the same thing, but so far I haven't experienced anything too major with Staff Hub. On the occasion, if you try saving a shift or a document, it can take a little while depending on how big the file size is, but I found that only happens if there's a Wi-Fi issue on your end. So just make sure your Wi-Fi router is, you know, 
up and running well. Any other miscellaneous problem, I just normally go to Twitter to find out what's going on. Okay, and I know that Microsoft's really trying to build up some steam around this whole frontline, first-line worker initiative with uh, Staff Hub being one of its key elements. So how is it in terms of value for money? Well, David, I know some of us get tired of my idioms on our podcast, but I have to do it again. You're definitely getting more bang for your buck when you purchase Staff Hub for your company. You're getting the app with all of its features, the 24-7 support. You're getting email accounts for everyone on your team, the storage, SharePoint, all the security. The list goes on and on and on. It's only $4.90 Canadian and then $4 per month per user US. That's probably the best deal I have seen. And To be honest, I'd be surprised if a business manager or owner would turn that down considering what they're getting out of it. Okay, great. Thanks very much for that, Andrew. And that was our first uh, full uh, review and look for the blog and infographic about it uh, sometime later this week. We'll be right back. And welcome back. We are starting off yet another new segment of our revised digital solutions podcast called From the Vault. David, what is this all about? Well, Andrew, there's a lot of talk these days about digital transformation. And at ITK, we've embraced this concept in our business. But to some degree, this is all more than a little bit faddish. Despite some people thinking that life didn't start until the latest version of a smartphone, computer technology has been used for major organizational transformations for a long time. As I'm a grizzled veteran, I thought there might be something to learn by revisiting major technology transformations from the past 40 years. So at the end of each podcast, we'll revisit a different project to see what we can glean. Now, it sounds like it could be interesting. What project do you have for us this episode? I thought I would discuss the world's first fully automated stock trading system that happened in 1986-1987 at the Vancouver Stock Exchange. Do you even know how stock exchanges used to work? (laughs) I absolutely do not. Okay, they were a lot of fun and they were chaotic, but extremely manual. Buy and sell orders would be called down onto the floor. There was something called the floor of exchange where there was just a ton of different types of people, especially ones called runners who would be running around with all the bids and asks and putting them up on large boards, which were organized by stock symbols. And to complete a trade, two traders had to get together, agree a price and the number of shares, and then write it down on a little ticket that was then passed to another runner who literally ran it across the floor to the key punch people who typed the trade into an old mainframe application. And it was complete pandemonium when the markets were busy. Oh, geez. So then what happened? Well, the key people at the Vancouver Stock Exchange, which at the time was the third busiest exchange in North America and was growing in volume, they basically did all of the penny stocks, the small caps for all of North America. They wanted to find a more automated system in order to grow even more. In the end, they developed a fully automated trading system which allowed them to completely close the floor of the exchange. It eliminated jobs like runners and so on, and also the manner in which stocks were traded. And talk about a digital transformation. Most people at the time did not think it could be done. Oh my God. So how did it work? Well, basically they created intelligent workstations that were using personal computers. Now you have to remember that at the time, personal computers were still a pretty new product. And they had software specially developed that made it very easy and very fast to enter in stock quotes and trades. They also developed a fully automated trading engine with complex algorithms based upon fully redundant computers so that the new floor of the exchange, as it were, wouldn't go down. 
all of this was incredibly leading edge at the time, and it was a very exciting project to be associated with. This system, which was then later sold to other stock exchanges, is really the conceptual root of all the automated trading that we have today, like with our discount brokerage accounts. Interesting. So why do you think that they were so successful? Well, Andrew, I think there was a few key factors. They absolutely had the best sponsorship from their head of trading, their chief executive officer, and their board of governors. So again, sponsorship was was paramount. They had a well-defined and compelling vision that they all rallied around and where they wanted to go. Another really important thing that I don't see enough of these days, they had resolve and courage in the face of major obstacles. I mean, they were programming computers uh, in ways that hadn't been done at the time. So once they got behind, they made an early decision. Let's delay the project because there's going to be other problems to encounter, but let's only do this once. So they really gave themselves more time in the revised schedule. In, in this case, I think it was seven or eight months um, for the slide, which nowadays would be considered horrendous. but uh, So that's what they did. They spared no expense when it came to the user experience and change management. We all think that these are new concepts, uh, but we have many organizations still giving them the short shrift, but uh, they're not new. And and the, and the Vancouver Stock Exchange, they spent a lot of time thinking about how are the new traders going to work? How's it going to be? What's the best user interface to support it? And then they absolutely invested in a lot of training and support for these people. And the final thing is they tested the hell out of this new system. I'm really proud to say that they never found a bug in this software for more than three months after it went live. Wow, quite the story. And those are critical factors to help every organization succeed in their own digital transformation. Well, that'll do it for the fifth edition of our series, and we had lots to talk about. David, any final remarks before we take off? Andrew, it was uh, great to be back, and uh, I really like the direction that we're going into. So I really look forward to doing this uh, every month, and uh, next time we're going to have an expanded review section. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Special thanks goes out to our guests, Bob Bell and our regular Doug McLaughlin for stopping by. I'm Andrew Walker, along with David Crouch. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in.